by and large, humans are eating things that in no way look like the products that come from the earth. They're wrapped in plastic, which is not good for it. It is transformed in shape and size, food coloring and dyes, et cetera. And I think the the moments when I can feel most galvanized to eat really healthily is when I think about that the healthier I eat, the better it is for the world, which will enable me to feel more, which will make me want to eat more healthily. That this idea of actually having a relationship with the food that you grow or the food that others grow, if you don't have a, a space to grow it, but to get in closer proximity to what is actually coming from the earth, you're helping the earth. You're not using packaging. That's not bad. You know, it, it's so... That, to me, is a really exciting motivator. Hello, friend, and welcome to episode 45 of the Feeling Full podcast. I'm Mordechai, an entrepreneur and coach who struggled with being overweight for nearly two decades. But since 2012, I've lost 130 pounds and have kept it off. Join me and my guest today to discover how it's possible and even simple to lose weight with ease without going on crazy diets or without doing intense workouts. Today, our guest is a super close friend of mine, Ilana Gilovich-Wave. Ilana is one of the most thoughtful and compassionate people I know. She's an incredible dancer, Shakespeare scholar, and cares deeply about the environment and our planet. Ilana is also a PhD student at Columbia University, focusing on the role of bodies and movement in contemporary theater. Ilana believes that embodied performance is a provocative lens for viewing and interrogating reality. On this episode of Conversation with Friends, where I simply have a conversation with an awesome friend of mine, we talk about intuitive eating, understanding desire and craving, navigating social engagements, and ways to deal with challenging emotions when they come up. Growing up, Alana danced ballet, and she didn't think much about her body and food. But as an adult, she started to feel societal pressures around beauty and struggled with her relationship to sweets, sugar, and desserts. Over the years, Alana has become more in tune with her body and shares how she's developed herself from a punishment reward mindset to a mindset of intuitive eating by slowing down, listening to her body, understanding her cravings, and truly what's underneath them. I'm really excited to bring you this conversation. And before we get started, it would mean a whole lot to me if you take a few seconds to subscribe to this podcast. Not only will this ensure you never miss an episode, but you'll also greatly help with the growth of the show. Alrighty, thanks for joining and let's jump right in. So I know you had a moment that along these lines of celebrating and enjoying food mm. in Dunkin' Donuts with a, with a <laughs> blueberry muffin. Those are my faves. Yes, that's that blueberry muffin is my ride or die. There's something about trying to unmoor the the treat from the experience, though, because I think why I love them is because I'm on a road trip and I want a little treat. And so the question is trying to learn how to be excited about having the muffin and not just automatically be going on a road trip and start having this Pavlovian response where I'm craving the muffin just because I'm, I'm on a long car drive. So was there a moment that you recently had a blueberry muffin that you felt? Oh, yeah. Can you tell us about that? It was just glorious. I think when I'm really savoring something, when I'm really saying, okay, let me check in with myself. I was, I was even thinking about this today when I was journaling, this concept of actually having a really productive dialogue with my body, because uh, this may be slightly different along gender lines or where people are in their lives, but there's so much self-punishing talk 
towards our bodies and either we're berating them or we're sort of ignoring them and expecting them to churn out results for us. Like stay up late, receive this coffee. You can do it on off that little sleep or just work out stronger and harder and get these results. And it can be a lot of, a lot of weight, a lot of burden for a body to bear. And maybe this is too abstract, but I think in that moment before eating a blueberry muffin or having some kind of treat, I'm thinking, can I actually have a dialogue with my body? It's like, you ready for this girl? Are you ready to enjoy this? Are we going to savor this? Is this what you really want? And can I hear almost like in a symphony, can I hear the notes of here's the, the craving pitch up here and then deep down below are the bass notes of like true wanting, true desire. And if I can listen deeply enough to go, okay, these, these high notes are exciting and they're doing these fun little riffs, but that's the craving. And the deep bass notes are, this is true longing. This is true desire. And let me then activate it with this reward. And that's a completely transformative experience. What you're describing is something that I think so many people are trying to do. It's like, it's like the ultimate, like intuitive eater versus like Mm. the person who's like going for the cravings, right? I think it's something that we all want more of. And I think the way you describe it, how it's a layer of craving and then deep down, like that deep, deep knowing of like, I want to eat this. Talk a little bit more, if you can, to like the deciphering between just the craving part of it. Because if it was Mm. me, I think more often than not, I'd probably be like, oh yeah, I truly deeply want this and desire it. And I want, I'm going to have, I would have a muffin all the time or not all the time, but more often I'm developing that, but I'm curious if you can describe it, what it's like a bit more. Mm, That's such a good question. I think, so Noom, which you and I are both familiar with this weight loss sort of coaching app. One of the questions that they ask prospective users in when they're sort of collecting data from you to, in order to personalize your weight loss journey, they ask, do you have some kind of meditation practice? And that factors into the algorithm in some way. And I, I don't really know what I'm talking about, but then they generate a timeline for you of how long it will take you to lose a specific amount of weight that you've put in as your goal weight. And I found that data point really fascinating because for me, and again, this is hardly a finished process and I'm still learning. I used to hate intuitive eaters because I'd go, how do you do that? How do you have one bite of chocolate and just put it away? It makes no sense to me. But I think those two things are sort of inextricably linked that the mindfulness practice of sitting there, taking a deep breath and checking that knee-jerk response or trigger response as opposed to the 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 deeper listening the the way that you actually want to respond those f- things feel different in a very subtle but very profound way so to give an example that's completely not linked with food i would think of an angry response which is okay if i'm liable to snap at you when i'm irritated maybe i'm hangry maybe i haven't had my blueberry muffin if i'm liable to snap at you is that really the response that I want? If I were to check in with my body and check in with all the faculties of my brain, is that how I would want to respond to you? Probably not, but it feels really real and very fueled in the moment. But I think the literal that I've done of meditation, when I take a deep breath and go like, okay, is this really how I want to show up in this moment? Is this really how I want to respond? I haven't had an instance of the answer not being no. I'm usually going, oh yeah, no, I don't need to snap at this person. I can really just make a request instead of a complaint, or I can really just share my experience without projecting it onto them. 
And it's almost a a similar or parallel experience with food, which is like the craving is certainly incredibly strong and she's making a lot of noise. She's making a racket and she's very loud and insistent, but it feels more like, okay, if I can listen beneath that, and I don't know why listening is the mode for me, maybe for someone else, it's just breathing or seeing or feeling, but if I can listen beyond that craving, I don't think I would genuinely ever want the food. Or if I did, I would go, wow, I really want this chocolate bar. I'm so excited about it. And then the the experience of eating it has been so heightened and so refined because I've had a little dialogue with my body and we're both in agreement. It's a partnership prior to the eating experience. It sounds like intuitive eating to you is really like the idea of eating in alignment, like eating what's in alignment. And the idea of alignment is something that we talk about a lot. And I think, you know, recently you, you said to me, it's like, have you thought about eating, like when I eat in ways I don't want to be eating or foods, that, you know, ex- excessive foods, you mentioned the idea of like, well, have you thought about it from a place of, is this in alignment for you to do this? Or is this going to take you out of alignment? Mm-hmm. And I think that's an interesting way to think about the food because you know you know the idea of alignment of like taking actions that are aligned with you get us into the state of flow that we get to experience the way you described it it really landed for me the idea of eating in a way which feels aligned because if i don't eat in that way this is it's just going to take me out of alignment like anything else it'll be a bump in the road mm-hmm. it'll be it's okay like to have compassion with it but just know that instead of like a disciplinary you know you can't have this because it's bad and you shouldn't eat the thing mm. to like hey you can have it but it's going to take you out of some sort of alignment and it sounds like what you do is you're tapping into this deep 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 place of alignment that you can feel and listen to and ultimately use that to help guide you whether it's like a craving or a quick reaction or if it's mm. you know something that you really deeply want. And then if it's in alignment to have it, then that's great. Mm. Yeah, it's such a good distinction. I think people talk about habit formation and that identity-based habits are much more likely to be kept and are much more likely to be sustainable because it has to do with your sense of self. I am Alana. I am somebody who is proactive. Therefore, if I link that to my food habits, I'm going to be proactive about meal planning. Let's say that's what it is. And what I think is counterintuitive about you is you are, you usually wait a long time before making big decisions. You know, you've talked about that on the podcast with the surgery. I think when you're moving to different places, you're very measured and cautious. Cautious isn't even the right word I'd use because it almost has a negative connotation, but you're very mindful about the decisions that you make and the people you choose to engage with and the environments that you're placing yourself in. And I've been very inspired by that because I can be a hasty decision maker and I can be like, no, no, we got to plan so far in advance and I'll feel unsafe if we don't. And I think you're the opposite, which is like, let me be expansive. Let me keep all the possibilities on the table and really wait until I get the right answer and it comes to me. And I've, I've been in such awe of you when I see that you don't have the answer that you want right away. You wait, you sit there, you wait and you let things come to you. And even if the answer is, I don't know, I've seen you go back and meditate or take a walk or, you know, consult the people that you love and care about, but you are so optimistic and so self-assured that the answer will come to you. And you don't mind being patient enough to wait for that response, which is not my experience of being in the world myself. So that's why I admire it. And 
your relationship to food in those instances where you are responding to a craving is so antithetical to that. Right. Mm. Because, and, and, and same for me too, which is like, when you're sitting there, you're making a really hasty decision, even though I know that the Morty MO is to sit and wait and wait. And if it's not the right answer, the right answer will come. But there's this area of your life that has a pain point, like as I think it does for many of our, our, our listeners, there's this area in your life in which you act out of alignment with your typical procedures of making big decisions. Yeah, that's such a great reflection. Thank you for the first part. This, 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 the second part. No, okay. We'll edit that all, in post. Exactly. All of it is so it's right on. I mean, it's right on. And it's, and it's, it's just what I'm working on right now, actually, is the idea of those moments where I'm feeling triggered to not have that hasty response to have to go eat a bag of almonds. You know, it's like if I'm feeling activated or triggered or whatever we're going to call it, you know, really what's happening in those moments, and this is what I'm diving deep into now, is that the healing I'm working through, or maybe the trauma, healing, both. <laughs> what happens is I experience an emotion that is hard to accept. So for me, mm. if I'm feeling lonely, it's extremely hard to accept that I'm feeling lonely. And my my response instead of accepting is to abandon the loneliness mm. with a solution. And the solution is to try to fix it with the opposite. So if I'm feeling lonely, I'll do whatever I need to to feel connected, make phone mm. calls, you know, whatever, whatever, try to be social any way I can. And then often, since I'm coming at it from a place of feeling unhappy feeling, I'm re- it's responded to in a negative way. It's not then like, you know, the universe is be like, oh, you're feeling lonely and you're abandoning the loneliness. Let me just give you all the connection you want. No, I mean, we're, mm. we're, I'm feeling lonely for a reason. I need to process the loneliness and you allow myself to feel it. And I think I run to food often because it's just very painful to feel it based on my, all the experience I had when I was younger about being lonely and bullied and, you know, left out and whatnot the story that comes with it. But it, and without all of that, it, the, the loneliness is really hard to feel. So I do that. And the learning that I'm, I'm experiencing right now is to allow myself to embrace that loneliness and just accept. I just ex- mm. accept that I'm feeling lonely right now without having to put a Band-Aid on the loneliness by trying to, by craving connection. Just like, no, accept the mm. feeling of loneliness, even though it's painful, accept it. And then come go out, try to connect and do all the things, but come at it from a place of like, desire kind of like you what you're describing with your muffin you're coming out from a place to pure desire if i'm coming mm-hmm. at connection from a place of desire it's a beautiful thing i believe the universe responds in a beautiful way when i do that but when mm-hmm. i come from a place of lack or abandon abandoning myself or abandoning an emotion but which is trying to teach me something and then i'm not listening i'm just trying to numb it the exact op, I get more of the, what I don't want. And then yeah. it's so painful that I have to eat the almonds and blueberries. I have to, yeah. it's, it's a stretch, but like <laughs> I have to just numb whatever it is. And and I know blueberries aren't, I know, blueberries, but blueberries too, but but almonds aren't so bad, but it's not the act of the, if you're listening and thinking, oh, wow, almond, I wish I ate almonds. It's not mm-hmm. about the food. It's about the act of numbing an emotion. And the feeling of being out of control. And the feeling of being out of control. Exactly. It's, it's Who cares if it's like being out of control? Yeah, there's definitely worse things to be out of control with, but mm-hmm. no one likes the feeling. I don't like the feeling of being out of control. Yeah. There's a, um, a line in a poem by Ocean Vong where he says, loneliness is still time spent with the world. 
And I love that. That's so helpful to me when I'm feeling lonely. I'm like, oh, I'm still here. I still am having a relationship with the earth and with life. But I'm curious, and this is always what helps me. It may not be helpful for you. But when I interrogate what I believe to be the base emotion, so similar to what we're talking about, like listening for up here for the craving versus deep, deep down, what's the true desire? So if supposedly the the ground floor, the depths is the idea of I feel lonely, can we interrogate it and sort of go into the subterranean even further? Like if I'm lonely, then what? Like what does loneliness mean to you in that moment? And often if you trace it and go, oh, if I'm lonely, I'm worried I'm going to end up alone. Or if I'm lonely, I worry that I will harm myself. Or if I'm lonely, I, I worry that I'll get into a spiral that I will never get out of. I don't know if for each person it's different, but fill in the blank. For me, sort of using a Socratic method on myself and asking deeper and deeper questions, when I get to the end, I'm like, oh, either that's a very real fear and I can look it in the eye and acknowledge it. And that is helpful to me or, oh, that's sort of a, a story that I'm telling myself, or that's a, a situation or a circumstance that may not come to pass or isn't necessarily realistic. Not to say that loneliness is in and of itself, isn't this really uncomfortable feeling, but if I'm really clear on what I think loneliness means to me in that moment, the meaning mm-hmm. I'm making out of it, that's often very helpful to me. That's so interesting. That's so that's a, such an interesting distinction. What what's the meaning I'm making out of the loneliness? Cause it's also about being alone. It's also about being. I mean, loneliness, like you said, is not an enjoyable emotion, but it's what I'm making. The, the pain gets exacerbated by the meaning that I'm giving the loneliness. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think I attach to unworthiness. Tell me more. Yeah, I'm just. I'm just. I haven't really thought about this before, but I think unworthiness comes up because if I'm alone, it means I'm not desired, you know, and like going back to those memories when I was really young, Mm. you know, often I was, you know, 10 years old, 11 years old, 12 years old, left out, right? Isolated. Mm. And all I wanted was to be accepted by my classmates, picked on the team, you know? Yeah. And I think I acted out which caused even more loneliness because I'd be in trouble Mm. and detention or, you know. Right. But to you, aloneness or loneliness equates to unworthiness. Yeah. Which is so interesting because, right, right. Loneliness can feel like, oh, I'm all alone, but it doesn't necessarily mean I'm bad or I'm wrong for being alone. I can feel incredibly lonely and it's it's interesting that you you say it because I, now, now that I'm exploring my own feeling of loneliness, I do something probably worse and more insidious, which is I put it on other people. I'm like, oh, I'm so alone and like no one cares about me and no one's paying attention or following up or whatever the thing is, which I think makes more meaning out of other people's actions than my own worth. But either direction, it's really damaging, right? Like loneliness has... A meaning that we're projecting onto it. If I'm lonely, then X. If I'm lonely, then Y. Yeah. I'm curious about yours. How do you project it onto? What, what do you mean by projecting it onto others? I think when I'm lonely, when I'm thinking of the instances in which I'm lonely, I think, oh, no one understands me or no one is really caring about this. Or, you know, 
And again, I think if I dug deeper, that would lead to unworthiness. But I think I only get to the level of other people don't care and make them wrong for it when I feel lonely, which is, you know, ugh, not a not a fun thing to realize on air. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I think we're both discovering this for the first time. So yeah, the meaning we make out of the emotion. Yeah, go ahead. It, it makes me think of, I don't know if I've talked to you about this before, but Amy Bender, who's this incredible fantasy short story writer, she wrote a novel called The Particular Sadness of Lemon Cake. Did we talk about this book? No. Oh my God, it's so good. And it's the premise is that the protagonist is a young girl. And maybe when she's like eight or nine, her mom makes her a beautiful lemon cake for her birthday. And she takes a bite and she realizes that she can feel her mom's sadness in the cake that her mom's love, energy, um, misgivings, everything that her mom was feeling went into this cake. And she starts to realize that she is such an incredible empath that she can feel all of that. And so as the, the book progresses, she's realizing like, oh, my mom is feeling guilty. I don't know what that's about. And she starts to discover these sort of skeletons in the closet of her family because of what she can taste in the cake. And she finds that sort of access to other people and openness truly unbearable. And so she begins to realize that the more removed she is from the feelings and the psyche of the, the, the maker, the more tolerable it is for her to eat it. So she ends up eating really processed food like Fritos or, you know, things you would get out of a vending machine because she just doesn't want to feel that acute, exquisite pain that other people are going through all the time. It's a beautiful book and it both makes you think about that this concept of loneliness, that like everybody's in their own bun, like carrying their own bubble, carrying their own bundle of wounds around that we are completely unaware of. But two, I think about you when I think about this book, because you are such an extreme empath. And often your relationship with food has either been numbing or your relationship to food is I need to be really healthy and really stay on alert and protect my boundaries because I feel so deeply into the psychology and the energy of other people. So I would love to hear what you think about that, the link between empathy or compassion and what goes into our own bodies. Yeah. First of all, I have to link that book in the show notes. <laughs> I've always wanted to make it to the show notes. I've made it, baby. Yes, you have. Yes, you have. <laughs> I'm make sure we put that in the show. That's a, that sounds like a great read. I gotta read it. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting point about like feeling. You know, I think for most of my life, I actually used food because it was. I think I was feeling so much. I I didn't even know what I was feeling, but I, mm. you would use food just so I didn't have to feel because whatever I was feeling was just too much. Yeah, I think a lot of people are like that. We feel a lot as humans, all people, and if we don't develop the tools to process the feelings, mm -hmm. then it's it could be overwhelming for our systems. I mean, it's just natural. We live in a such a highly stimulative society that we're always. There's so many, you know, TV, computer, phones, messages, Instagram, yes. Facebook, all these different things, people coming, going, fine, go on the street, everyone, and everyone's got the same thing. Now you have a, humans are walking around and we're buzzing <laughs> and clicking. Like, think, just think about how much stimulation and every, re, everything comes with a feeling. So if you're, someone mm -hmm. else is anxious at the Starbucks, a Starbucks line, you're going to feel their anxiety. It's very likely you're going to feel their anxiety if you're close in proximity with them. If you're right next to them, you're going to pick up what they're feeling. And often, I don't think, yeah, some of us are more sensitive than others, but I think on some level, we all experience this. And mm -hmm. I'm extremely sensitive, like you said, and I 
as a kid was feeling way too much. And I think I would use food because it was just like, this is all I knew. I felt a lot and would eat to numb those uncomfortable emotions. And I think mm. as I grew up, I started, you know, you know, realizing what was happening and started developing some tools to help me develop my ability to feel, period. Mm. Or Whoa, that was that gave me the big goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. Keep going. Sorry, sorry. No, no, no. I will. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But Proceeds, like, uh. <laughs> yes, yes, mom. <laughs> I started developing the tools to allow myself to feel, and the feelings got less and less scary because I was able to process them, right? Through meditation and journaling mm. and walking and just like be more mindful. I was now able to instead of cutting myself off completely with food, I was able to like little by little start digging a healthier and planting a healthier garden by being able to like receive this information of energy and emotions from others and being able to process it and understand how it, you know, correlated to me and just understanding all the different emo the dynamics of it all, mm -hmm. which I don't know why they don't teach this shit in school. It's just like such, a, yeah. such an important, like this is something that we all, every human experiences. And yes. it's like, there's not emotional, what is it, what, what's the word for this? Emotional. Emotional intelligence or yeah, EQ. It's a, yeah. It's like, I don't think it's taught in school. I definitely learned it in school. So, but yeah, so I started yeah. developing that. And I think it's been a gift because I think like understanding the emotions and how we feel is really, is a superpower being able to process it. Kind of like with you with the blueberry muffin at, you know, mm -hmm. Dunkin' Donuts. Like when you're able to process it, you're like more mindful and you can, and then you're living a, a life that has much more depth as well because you, you can feel much more. Mm. But it also comes with a lot of discomfort. I was actually just talking to Mark um, a couple of days ago and I was telling him, I was jogging here and one morning and I passed and I felt this like really like, oh, feeling in my body. Like all of a sudden like this empty, like uh, a void, like, oh, oh, that oh. feels gross. And I turned <laughs> oh. to the left and there's a cemetery. And I was wow. like, I experienced whatever, I don't know what the, I don't know what it was. Maybe it was a mm. void, maybe it was whatever it was, but I experienced it in my body. I literally had to cross the street once I realized what was happening. I was like, whoa, it was just so, wow. it was so intense. So I think it's understanding, you know, what's happening because we're always experiencing these emotions. Whether you're in Dunkin' Donuts, you can be next to somebody who's like who's like really triggered. Like you're like in a really happy place. I keep bringing us back to Dunkin' Donuts, maybe because I kind of <laughs> secretly back to Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> make us secretly want a muffin, or <laughs> it's a great story, and I love how far you've come in your own journey to be mm. able to tap into that kind of depth to feel, you know, to feel what you're feeling and being able to make those decisions more aligned but if you walk in Dunkin' donuts and you're in a really high vibe and you're like wow i feel so called to get, i'm desiring a muffin and i'm gonna and it's gonna be amazing and you're gonna go to the car or and you're whatever you're gonna do and you're gonna eat it and it's gonna be really enjoyable and then mm. there's somebody else in Dunkin' donuts who's like they're just like i need a dozen of donuts and i'm going to just eat these donuts while i'm watching you know binge watching some netflix and I've been there too, so no judgments. Yeah, same. I've been that person more than I've been the, you know, the. <laughs> I know the steps to that dance, my friend. Exactly. My point is, you can pick up their emotions as well, and all of a sudden, you're mm -hmm. buying four muffins, and you're out of that alliance. So it's it's a really it's a dance. Yeah, yeah, it very much is, and it's interesting. I'm having two thoughts simultaneously. One is like if we extrapolate from just human beings to beings, and maybe this is a bit reductive and a bit oversimplified, but I feel like we numb ourselves from feeling 
what we are doing to the environment and what we are doing to the earth. And our food does not resemble what it looks like. I mean, your food does because your diet's really clean, but by and large, humans are eating things that in no way look like the products that come from the earth. They are wrapped in plastic, which is not good for it. It is transformed in shape and size, food coloring and dyes, et cetera. And I think the the moments when I can feel most galvanized to eat really healthily is when I think about that the healthier I eat, the better it is for the world, which will enable me to feel more, which will make me want to eat more healthily. That this idea of actually having a relationship with the food that you grow or the food that others grow, if you don't have a, a space to grow it, but to get in closer proximity to what is actually coming from the earth, you're helping the earth. You're not using packaging. That's not bad. You know, it, it's so... That to me is a really exciting motivator. But the other thing that I was just thinking about, and I'm really curious to get your take because it indirectly ties back into this concept of alignment. But when we're talking about empathy and feeling and relating, I think, to others, that story about someone being a Dunkin' Donuts and having a really positive relationship to the food or a really negative relationship to the food, I find that it's very difficult for me to eat healthily because of other people's reactions to it. So I find that I have natural instincts of a people pleaser and I can feel that for a lot of people, it's very confronting or threatening to feel like someone else is eating in a, in a healthy way. That's not fun or mm. is not joining them in this communal experience. And I really do understand the merit of that because food is a love language. And when you sit down to a big dinner that's been prepared and you're not putting someone out by saying, oh, I have all these dietary restrictions. I really see why showing up as easygoing and open as possible could be really wonderful and helpful to a social situation. But in many ways, it reminds me of, I don't drink. I don't, you know, it wasn't that I stopped cold Turkey, but I just haven't drank for many years. And I can really feel sometimes a resistance to that. Even from people who love me unconditionally, there's this concept of like, but you need to join us. Like we need to all have a bottle of wine or we need to all have a drink at this pub or. And so I often struggle with knowing where the line is with that because for you, like we're talking about with loneliness, if you have such a stringent regime around food, then it's harder to socialize. It just is. You can't go out to restaurants. You can't be with other people if they're cooking, et cetera, which can make you feel more alone. However, on the other hand, if you're eating in a way that feels out of your alignment, you're going to retract into yourself and you're going to say, I don't want to go back there again where I ate unhealthily and fell off the wagon. And so that will make you not want to socialize. Or you'll, you'll show up as your anxious self, as my husband says, you know, like he, he would love to eat a lot of unhealthy food, but for him, it just makes him incredibly anxious. So I'm curious what you think about that in terms of alignment and socialization around food, because it's such a cultural staple. Such an interesting question. And I'm not surprised that it's your question because you're such a social person. You're, you're somebody who's very social. You love people. And you want to connect with people. And I feel like if you're not drinking, you know, alcohol like somebody else's, it may feel like disconnection. And I experienced mm. that. I experienced that too. Mm. I, I actually experienced that as well. And I, it's something I, I don't really have a good answer for, I don't think. 
because it's something I'm still trying to figure out myself. Because in the past, I've kind of put, I had a hard line. Like I was like, I'm just, I'm just going to be the way I need to be because it's kind of like, I looked mm-hmm. at it as like a sobriety. Like I needed to be this way because yes. I wanted to get healthy. And for me, a long time, you know, it was abstinence. It was just like not having the thing that that I knew I couldn't have. And I would just tell people, yeah, you know, I, I can't, I can't. And then, then I started allowing myself as I go to social gatherings to like make more exceptions and to not mm. be so like, I would, I would have the protein, even if it had sauce on it, even if it may have a little bit of sugar in it. I'm like, okay, you know, I can, I think I could be okay. I'm, I'm at a place where I've healed a lot where I'm able to do that. So I started making more exceptions. But I think what I do now is if I'm thinking like what I'm doing in my life, I try to connect with people socially over other things than food. I don't think we can find anything to replace connecting over food because it's such like a human, such a natural human thing that we've been doing for however long humans have been around for. Mm. So I think there's other ways of connection, right? It's like, you know, I'm going paddleboarding with a friend tomorrow morning because I want to connect with him. I could have easily went to lunch, but we're going paddleboarding because he loves paddleboarding and I love paddleboarding. You know, it's like finding other ways, you know, music, playing the drums. Mm. It's like, you know, Mark got that new drum. It's like, you know, we could connect people over drums and not necessarily connect someone like over food. It's another way, it's another outlet. Going for walks, like we go for our coffee and walks in nature when we see each mm. other, you know, it's like we found other ways. It's not so, you know, clean cut. I think it's a balance. I don't have a good answer for it because I'm still mm. working through this myself. I mean, have you come up with any, any great techniques? Because you're really social. And I mean that, like, if you, Alana is super, super social <laughs> in a good way. And looking for more friends, listeners. <laughs> so if you want to hang out, that'll be in the show notes as well. Find her on Instagram. <laughs> exactly. I'm actually thinking that with this, this creative solution-oriented mode that you're describing for alternatives, I feel like we could map that paradigm onto the cravings that we were discussing earlier, which is if you're feeling the loneliness and you go for a solution, you opt to not feel the loneliness. And so the food is the out. Could you have a preemptive list for yourself of rewards that aren't food related? So for me, because I have many addictions, I'm thinking like, oh, online shopping. Like if I started to feel lonely, I mean, this might, might unravel into its own thing, but could I say, all right, I'm feeling lonely. Let me put on some music and dance for three songs. And if I still want the treat, then I can have it. Or like, let me buy, if I don't have a treat right now, but I can buy myself like a really cool gadget online or, or something that feels tantamount to a treat, but isn't something that you're actually going to digest physically in that moment. Right. And when it comes to like connecting with others, actually one thing that's coming to me right now is Bring something that you can, that people can enjoy. So let's say you're going, everyone's going to be drinking wine. Mm-hmm. Like what's another drink that's maybe non-alcoholic that you know they're really going to enjoy? Or even that it's, I think what people are are craving, which you articulated so beautifully, is the connected experience. And you're right. You, you hit the nail on the head that when I am not joining, I am not feeling connected. And that's really, uh, we, we don't want to pull on that thread. My whole thing about like, you know, can I individuate from someone else and still feel really connected and close to them? But I think the idea of bringing food that is an experience, and you did this so exquisitely at our wedding, which is you had this beautiful, healthy cocktail that you had created a non-alcoholic cocktail. 
for our wedding dinner and you gave a toast in which you put all of these different ingredients together and people were able to assemble the drink on their own. And that's a way in which you're including people in on this process before they consume. And so it was in alignment for you to drink it, right? but it was because you'd created this experience of connection. And I think even Mark the other day was saying, oh, I really wanted to spend time with this guy. We really connected and we thought about going out to dinner, but the dinner was going to be too late for me. So I decided not to go. And in my head, I think the the social part of me was like, no, could you have just eaten something small or just gone for like right. an appetizer or something? Uh, some problem solving solution that allows you to have your cake and eat it not at all. <laughs> that is a rub for me too. It's like eating late. I feel that I feel that as well. It's like if you're eating late, you kind of like, yeah. And I think it's like how important this social event is. It kind of really pushes you to ask yourself, is it really important? You know, if it's like a dinner party, right? Yes. I'm going to want to show up, right? If it's Friday night dinner with friends, like we used to have all often in New York, I'm going to show mm-hmm. up, but I'm also going to bring food that I know everyone will enjoy and I'll enjoy, right? Or I'll yes. eat dinner, I'll eat an earlier dinner and come and just like hang out and snack on like healthy, healthy food, but I'm not like particularly too hungry, just socially eating. Mm-hmm. And I find myself like the way I think about social events now, which I used to think about before, was like, it was very much about the food in the past. And now it's more about connecting with other people. And I feel that when the food's not the main focus for me, <laughs> right? I'm able to really connect and be present and enjoy myself because I'm not, th- I'm not really hungry. I'm there because I want to connect with my, hang out with my friends or family. It's like, it's not usually about the food's not the main event of the evening. Mm, and I think it's a presence and connection is sort of a forcing function to be an intuitive eater because you can't be stuffing your face if you're mid conversation with someone or you can, but I guess you might just look like a caveman. But so I think that the concept of being like totally in constant conversation with somebody and loving it and looking in their eyes sort of means that you're not looking down at your plate, which probably really helps. Yeah, no, absolutely. I have a question for you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Bring it on. What would you say if you had to attribute an age or a time of life to your lowest point in your food journey, the place where you just felt the worst or most out of alignment? Wow. Good question. I think the rubber, the rubber hit the road when I was like, I think 25, Mm. 24, 25. When I was my heaviest, I was 330 pounds or 330. I don't even know. I was heavier than 330, but I kind of got like the scale at 330. Mm. And I think for me, that was like a moment of, it was just kind of crazy to me how I was able to be so successful at some one area of my life, which is I had a company that I started, which I was running, you know, my early 20s and it was very Mm -hmm. successful. And I'm like, how am I able to be so successful with business when I started from nothing only, you know, three, four years ago? Mm -hmm. But with my body, I would lose, you know, 80 or 100 pounds and then gain it all back. And then I'd do it again and again. And it happened a whole bunch of times in my life. I'm like, how how come I can't figure this out? And and the, the distance between like the success in one area and being socially rewarded for it and having, you know, the mm. team, the team of a hundred that I had and this big thing going on. And it was, it brought me so much like respect and pride in my own life that I did this. Mm. And then with my body and personally, when I got home, I was just like, what, how are you so, how come you can't get this at all? Like what, how come you can't, like, it's like you always end up heavier than where you were. It's like, not that you can't mm. get it. You always kind of like, you're digging yourself a bigger hole every single time. Mm. And 
I think that was like a really big moment for me when I realized that. And I was like, the thing that came clear to me at that moment when I was, when I had this thought was in the past, I was trying to lose weight for other people. So other people can accept me and and love me and, you know, kind of have that connection that we're talking about, right? The, the struggle, the, that, that, yeah, yeah. The, the feeling that I didn't want, right? And I changed the frame to do it for me. I'm like, no, we're going to not do it for other people. You're going to do it for yourself. And I think mm-hmm. when I changed that, that's when I started really starting to make some real headway. Mm, right. Because you're so other oriented in general. You're just like the most generous, self-sacrificing human. And so I think it was really easy for you to support a team of a hundred people, but not so easy to support yourself. But the two-parter of this question is now hundreds of pounds lighter, surgery later, completely different life space. What would you say to that, that 25 year old to reassure him that it's going to be great? Because I'm sure there are some listeners here who are in that deep pit right now that like things, things that you wish you'd known as a 25 year old, that if you could fast forward in time and now you're looking at this Morty, who's like, Hey buddy, it's going to be great. This is what's going to happen. Yeah. It's a beautiful question. And thank you for the reflection. Patience. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. be, just to be patient. Like, you know, this, this is not a race. There's no rush. It's not a race. Slow and steady. You know, it's like with all things, like, you know, I was telling somebody earlier, it's like when you go at your weight, like you're trying to win the lottery, it's like, of course, you're going you're gonna to miss most of the time. Wow. But if you have a job and you work hard and you work on a career or a skill set and you develop yourself over many years and you get good at something, you get rewarded. Society rewards people who are very skilled and very good at things. Mm. And you make money and then you're and then you can do things with your money and you can invest your money and make more money and be more and live a life that you want to live. You know, and I think that with our weight, it's like we often just want to get rid of it. And I think when I was 24, 25, or all my life, really from when I was 10, I just wanted to get rid of the extra pounds. It was like you could have gave me a knife and if you told me I was okay to cut it off, there would be a good chance I would just cut off the weight. Like it was that was the mindset. Like I'm not physically that wouldn't obviously do that, but that was the mindset of of my the energy I had with my body, which was like it would bother me so much that I would do anything to eliminate it. Oh, I have a great question related to this though, which is <laughs> what is the best thing? What is so divine about the fact that you were overweight for a long period of your life? What is the best part of that? Why are you wow. grateful that that was the case? Another another really powerful question. You Money. prompted it with saying you would have just cut off the weight, but I'm thinking like, no, you wouldn't be Morty if you just uh, didn't, you know? Well, what's the benefit of it is what you're saying. What's why, the, are, why are you grateful that you were overweight and that you did struggle through this journey? If you are, you may not be. It's a good question. It's making me think. Hmm. I think it really helps me relate to a lot of people. Hmm. I think we all struggle with something. Every human is, you know, here with a struggle. And it seems like many people don't struggle, you know, whether it's, mm-hmm. you know, Instagram, TikTok, you know, you see people and you're like, they have it all together. Look at them do their thing and look how many <laughs> followers they have, likes they have. And you're like, and you think like, yeah, they're living a perfect life. They're not dealing with anything. And meanwhile, that person mm-hmm. person has their own problems that they're working through and their own demons to work through and sort through. 
And I think for me, it was like, it was a very obvious problem. You know, I couldn't hide mm-hmm. from my problem. So it was like almost embarrassing in a big way. And I think that walking through the world for so many years, feeling like that, like I was, I was kind of like othering myself, like I was, you know, society, I was like, oh, everyone's looking at me. Like I'm the fat guy, I get in a plane and like all the stories that came with it. Mm-hmm. I think just allowed me to like really relate it's funny because compassion is something that I'm working on it's self-compassion mm-hmm. and compassion for others. But I think like I can, I sense an ability to feel connected to a, a lot of people. Cause I think like you said earlier in the interview conversation hmm. that, you know, we all struggle with food stuff. Everyone does. I mean, it's a modern society in the last 50, 60 years. I mean, you know, packaged food like products is the norm. So it's like where everyone's, of course, struggling with something around food because it's like, how do you make the decision between eating an apple or your favorite chocolate bar? It's, it's, it's a constant choice that we all need to make. And sometimes it's great. Sometimes, it's, Like you said, the chocolate bar is fine and it's great. But I think it's a constant thing that we have to think about now that we didn't have mm-hmm. to think about 50, 60 years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think maybe it's compassion helps me mm-hmm. feel, feel others in a broad way. Mm. That's beautiful because you're working on compassion, but I think I know at least, and maybe this has led you to realize that you have such an abundance of it. I think it's why you're doing this podcast. That's why you've coached people for so long is I think that that compassion was the um, springboard for not wanting people to feel the way that you felt. Yeah. yeah. And just discipline. I always say this because like you're as yet to be determined future bride, knock on wood. I really want to. I think whoever you end up with is the luckiest human in the world because mm. you're so disciplined. You have so much rigor and that makes you incredibly trustworthy to me, at least. Like I think to myself, wow, he has so much control over his instincts. And if he doesn't, he's really aware of it and really on top of it. And that's such an admirable quality. I think of that particularly in terms of romantic partnership, but also as a friend. Mm. It's like you are really on top of your own shit. But I think for a lot of people, it's sort of unwieldy and they know that something's off, but it's sort of all out there in the world and they're not really addressing it or confronting it. And like you said, because it was made so manifest for you in the world throughout your whole life, you've really known what it is and taken all these really concrete steps to address it, which is so, I think, advanced for how most of us are are moving through the world. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. We could wrap it up here, or there is one other question that I think I would, I'm, I really, I'm really feeling called. I want to ask you this because I think do you can, it. I think you can. I think you really shed some light on this. I'm going to go for it. So, the idea of body image, right? So, as a guy, I talk about body image, what my experience was with my body, taking my shirt off the first time, and like really, oh, I love that story. Really learning to thanks. Really learning to allow myself to be to be okay with the way I was, with the way I am. But I'm curious, how do you think about like what, the way it pertains to women, right? How do you think about body stuff as, as it pertains to women? If you can just share. Sure. Yeah. I, I recall when you shared this um, story about taking your shirt off, you've referenced M- Brene Brown. I'm not sure which book, but you were, you were in Daring the throes of Daring Greatly, right? And I always think about a quote that she talks about where she when we are wanting love and acceptance, what we try to do is fit in, but what will actually get us love and acceptance is being radically authentic and vulnerable. But that's so counterintuitive to who we are. And I had a similar realization with beauty, which is love renders everyone beautiful. 
Like it's, it's such a ridiculous thing for me to say like, oh, is Morty beautiful or not? I'm like, I can't be objective about that because I love him. Like, of course he's beautiful. And so really the way to feel beautiful is to feel loved and to go seek love and acceptance and like authentic connection with people, not based on what you do or what you look like, but who you are. And that tends to texture how you appear to the people that are close to you. At least that's, that's my belief. But I think for women, it's really tough. It's really tough. And not to say that it's not for men as well. And I think you articulated this so powerfully when you were talking about getting your surgery that you felt like, was I less macho? If I got cosmetic surgery, was I less manly? This is what's so detrimental about living in, you know, what people call a patriarchal society. It's not just damaging to women, it's damaging to men. It has this very static, brittle expectation of what a man should be and should look like and what a woman should be and should look like. And I think personally, I can disassociate a bit and talk about capital C culture as in, oh, we're living this appearance-based culture that's so superficial on their marketers. Isn't that a shame? Isn't that sad? As if it's not literally happening to me as well all the time. I'm carrying this device in my pocket that is an assault. It's an, a barrage of images that are facetuned, that are, you know, completely edited. Again, like you say, people's perfect life and their perfect appearance. And I think I'm still so in the midst of accepting my own body image and really understanding why I'm always bullying my body in such a mean way, or I shouldn't even say my body, but just my appearance. I think I'm often just having a really negative relationship to my appearance. And it's not even that I necessarily want a positive, arrogant relationship to my appearance, but I just really want to feel neutral. To me, the word I would use is exhausting. I'm so tired. I'm so tired of like having a negative self-talk in which I have a a beautiful life and a wonderful husband and like work that I feel like is enriching and rewarding and like a beautiful family, all these things. And yet what I get stuck on and what I can't seem to unmoor is the link between my beauty and my worth. That it feels like there are plenty of other things that make me worthy. And yet I think particularly to women, there's the sense of that will always reign supreme physical appearance is your entree into womanhood is your entree into femininity. And that's something that I think the world is catching up to and trying really, really hard to dismantle. And I'm on a similar trajectory, partly thanks to the world and partly thanks to myself of like, whoa, you are setting way too much store by this stuff and you got to move on. Like there are way more important things in the world than to, to be so wrapped up in this. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. It's just so transparent of you just to share exactly what you're experiencing. And it's it's it speaks to probably what, like you said, many, many women are experiencing. And I love the idea that like, we walk around with our phones in our pockets that are kind of like little little bully devices. So we pretty much like pro, we have like this thing in our pocket that's always gonna make us feel or always gonna make, you know, whoever it is seeing the the Instagram or whatever it is online to make us feel like mm-hmm. we're not enough not attractive enough, not beautiful enough, not pretty and whatever it is. And it, it's like a, a constant inner critic, inner bully that's always there to let us know that we're not good enough. Well, it's also, I mean, so I'm in the field of literature and so I love stories and I love books and the, the stories that I was raised on 
were these fairy tales in which the language was so hyperbolic. It's like the most beautiful princess in all the land. Mm. And that's why she got the prince. That's why she got the kingdom is she was beautiful. And there wasn't much substance beyond that. And so despite the fact that like, thankfully, both my parents were incredibly ahead of their time and deeply feminist and always trying to like change the gender pronouns in our little books, but still like if you were raised on these, you know, as much as I love them, but Disney films and fairy tale books, like beauty was prioritized. Beauty was at the forefront. And I see not to sort of make a reductive binary, but I think for a lot of my close male friends, money and status is such a big thing. Whereas like, I, I, I don't look at somebody wealthy and go like, oh God, I feel less than. I'm just mm-hmm. like, oh, good for you. You're wealthy. But I know that's such a pain point for people that I'm close to. The idea of like, oh, if they have more, I have less. And this feels so vulnerable to share, but that's how I feel about beauty. It's it's challenging for me to celebrate other people in my life that are so physically beautiful without thinking that makes me less beautiful. And that is a very patriarchal view of power, that instead of power amplifying itself and multiplying itself and like, the more you have, the more I have too, it's a patriarchal view of power is like a pie. It's like, if I take one piece, there's one less piece. And that's unfortunately how my brain is conditioned to see beauty because it's so comparative, I think, in our culture. And, and I'm trying, I'm trying hard not to. <laughs> You're doing great. You're doing great. I'm, I'm, <laughs> You're doing great, kid. <laughs> You're doing You're great. You're on your way. <laughs> Just keep it up, yeah. Just keep it up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's. I mean, it's inspiring the way you move through the world. I'm curious, before we wrap up, are there, are there any techniques or methods that you have discovered that are working for you on this journey of love and ex- like accepting your body and just accepting your beauty and just allowing yourself to be loved the way you are, the perfect way you are? Mm. I can't believe I'm saying this. And my husband, Mark, if he listens to this, will be so triumphant because he has been, I've been coming kicking and screaming to this practice, but meditation, meditation. I, every time I try to pitch it to any of my friends that don't do it, they're like, oh, but I, I'm not good at it. No such thing. There is no wrong way to do meditation. I do it for five minutes a day when I can't muster up 10. Just sit there. And if you if you end up thinking about something else, that moment of realization of like, whoa, my mind wandered, that that's it. That's when it's working. That's not because you failed at meditation. That's that moment of the moment of realization then gets mapped onto, oh, I'm I'm having a food craving. And it you're so you're working the same muscle, just like you would work a muscle at the gym, is you're working that muscle of metacognition. And to me, it has helped me be so much less a servant to my instincts and more of a, uh, an empowered agent of my deeper instincts and truer instincts. So I feel like everybody, even if you can sit still and just not think about anything for a minute and, and, and not even not think about anything, but realize that you're thinking about things for a minute a day, I think that is magical. And then I really think this is so simple, but just like fewer, fewer screens, more time outside, more time dancing, moving your body. Cause there's no wrong way to have a body. I just, maybe this is so simplified because it's what I'm fixated on right now. And what I think has helped me the most is just like 
do not spend so much time of the day sitting in front of a screen cut off from the visceral experience of being in your body. Like go touch the earth, (laughs) go like move your body to music, go enjoy the food and feel what your body is doing when it responds to that food being placed in it. You know, that the more I am having a dialogue with this perishable structure that is ferrying me through the world, the better, the better I, I feel and the more in control I feel. I love the, I love both of those. Those are great. Some great, some great tools. And I think the idea of screens are just like, oh my god, just for all of our lives. Just we're way too much in front of the screen. I find when I'm struggling the most with, with cravings, it's I'm on my phone on my computer way too much. So yeah. Can can I ask you the same question, particularly because I've been interested in you've now been doing this podcast for many episodes. Yeah. And you've heard a lot of other people's paradigms. Now you get to cherry pick between theirs and your own. What would you recommend to people? Yeah, I think for me, I would say acceptance for where you're at. Like kind of like we were talking about early on in the interview with the emotions, like I was working on accepting the loneliness. Just accept where you're at today fully from a place of I'm fine the way I am. Like I'm perfect. Everything is fine the way it is. And from a place of wholeness, then put one step in front of the next. Like, all right, so we're going to go walking. We're going to drink some water. And then the next thing I would say is make it easy. Right? My mind goes right to walking and drinking water because anybody can, most people can go for a few minute walk and drink a little bit more water. And those two things will have a drastic impact on your life. It's mm-hmm. like if you, if you do your meditation with the walking and the drinking water, it's like you're going to be a different person, but just do it for one minute every day, like 30 seconds. Make it easy. Totally. Make it fun. Like it doesn't have to be like this crazy thing where you just sign up and go to, like the idea of like the intensity that I think because we want it so badly and it's completely mm-hmm. normal. I did this like my whole life almost, but like going at it with this, the rigor of the intensity of like an hour at the gym, no more carbs, you know, whatever it is. Those are the things that actually keep us, you know, unhealthy, overweight, not happy. It's because we're going at it from a place of running away from and of being too intense. So if you come from a place of acceptance and a place of making it easy and fun for you, there's a very good chance you're going to be much more successful, I think. It's so true because has anyone ever come on this podcast and been like, nah, that whole food thing, I got that locked down. You know, every single person struggles with food. And this concept of of being completely in control and not meeting those highs and lows is just, I think, a complete falsehood. And you don't stand to gain anything financially based on this podcast. You are just sharing the you know your wisdom out of the goodness of your heart. And I think the people that do that that don't aren't incentivized to gain from it are talking about these like you know, microscopic, consistent steps. Whereas the people that stand to gain something are going to sell mm. a crash diet or because sell they a need to. diet. Because they, they, yeah. need, because they need, for them to be successful, they need to show you, get you results right away because doing it the slow way and the patient way, you may not lose 10 pounds the first week or the first two weeks. You, mm-hmm. may, you may not lose any weight, you may gain weight. But the fact is when you're coming from a place of self-love and acceptance, that's fine because you're doing it, there's no rush anymore. You're just like, all right, I want to improve myself. Just like you would get any job and like, you don't say, hey, I want to make a million dollars the first month of working at my new career. Right. You make out, it's a great job. Oh, they're paying me well. Okay, great. Now, like I'll work for a while, 
get better at it and then ask for a raise in the annual whatever it is, you know, mm-hmm. or I'll get really good at the skill and then I'll start charging, for, you know, whatever. What, but I think with weight, it's just like this crazy thing where we just want immediate results, instant gratification. And it's not anybody's fault. It's like a societal thing. I think we're all, everything's on demand today. So it's completely normal to think this way. And it's if you're, if, you're, if you're there and you're thinking this way, I wouldn't even say try to make a radical shift. Just see how this information feels when you think about it from not pushing it away, from actually allowing yourself to say, hey, is that even true for me? Can I even, you know, allow mm. myself to think those thoughts? Like, you're not wrong for trying to go at it aggressively. Just allow yourself to maybe open up to a new possibility. Mm-hmm. Right. And to use another example, like, do we always think, do we predict that a relationship is going to go well when it's like, I went all in and we got married after a week of meeting each other? We're like, oh, that's probably not going to last. Whereas it's like, we were friends first. We spent a lot of time together. Again, not not a rule, but consistency and slow over time, gradual intimacy and connection and commitment. It's like sort of the same thing with diets. You know that if somebody's like, I'm going all in on keto, maybe it'll work for a while, but probably not the same as sort of what you did, which is where you're like, I'm going to put on my shoes every single day and that's all I'm going to do. And then look at you now. Look at me now. Yeah. Look at me now, friends. Still putting my shoes on. (laughs) Still putting my shoes on just like everyone else, one shoe at a time. Awesome. I think this is a great place to wrap up the interview slash conversation with friends. This has been like... This has been one of my favorite interviews, and I don't say that I don't really, I don't think I've ever said that on an, on an interview. I just I love that we know each other so well, and we get to dive deep into these like real topics and things that we're both really working on. It just feels so real. Like I've learned a lot just hearing you share the things you share. I always do, and yeah, I'm really excited. I'm really excited to to share this podcast, and thank you so much for being so such a good friend being so gracious with your feedback always and being such a big supporter of the feeling full podcast definitely a top fan group right here this is like this is a real treat i'm the number one fan girl we really should have said that right at the outset you should have said we <laughs> we did a radio contest and we decided to pick our number one fan but you know if anyone wants to have a competition <laughs> with me to see who's the number one fan we could we could go toe to toe announce yourselves reveal yourselves and we'll start a group I think you may have some people there. You may have some may have some friends in that in that bucket. I hope. I'm so grateful. I'm so in awe of you and I think it has been incredible to see the simultaneous processes of your growth around food and your growth as a as a human being. Of course, they're so inextricably intertwined, but the same lessons you're learning about like self-compassion, being measured, being expansive while maintaining your boundaries diving deeper and deeper into your own psychology. Like I've seen you not only diminish in terms of the weight that you wanted to lose, but grow in terms of the kind of man you are and how you show up mm. in the world. So I'm, I'm so grateful to be along for the ride. Mm, thank you so much. Hey, one more thing before we say goodbye. My goal is to make Feeling Full the best possible podcast you listen to, and I love your feedback. If you have comments, ideas for future shows, guests or topics, or just feedback in general, you can email me at m@feelingfull.com. You can also find out more about the show and all the past episodes at feelingfull.com. And if you found this episode valuable, please share it with a friend or leave a review. Until the next episode, take care, be well, and feel full.